Hi and welcome. Welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This week, OMG people, OMG. I had an exceptional guest. Her name is Shazad Atai and I've known her for a bit and she's a partner in a law firm in the UK called Child and Child and has lots of experience counseling and advising high net worth business families that have business operations in multi-jurisdictions. So I thought, bring her on. She'll have some things to share with us and teach us one thing or the other. But her story moved me. We weren't even able to talk technical. (laughs) She was like a well and this fire hose of just wisdom. So Shazad is actually a next gen. She's of Iranian origin. Her story started where she was in Iran, working in her family law firm with her father, and then she moved to the UK. Prior to that, she had fled war with her family, moved to the UK, came back to Iran, worked with the family business with her father, then moved again after having a divorce with her son, broke through the ranks, starting off very humbly as an immigrant in the UK with little support. And today, 10 years after qualifying to be a lawyer, she's a partner in a leading law firm. Shazad had so much to teach about flying alone and writing your own story. Flying alone as a next gen, flying alone as an individual personally, and the power to write your own story. And she was just so inspirational. I would encourage you, get your beverage, soft, hot, hard, whatever you want. (laughs) Soak it in. It really, truly moved me and gave me much needed positivity, inspiration, and energy I needed at a crossroads I'm personally at. So take care, enjoy. Welcome, Shazad. I'm so excited to have you today on The Connected Generation. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to participate in this with you. And I hope I can add a little bit of value. With You're going to add a lot of value. Your story is fascinating. <laughs> so tell us more about yourself. How did you end up as a partner at a law firm? I started working in a law firm as my first job in my father's law firm and as a paralegal. But at the time, I was studying another degree. I was studying applied maths. And by the time I finished my degree and I had kind of improved from a paralegal position, I was the practice manager. But then I felt I've hit the glass roof without a legal qualification. So I decided to come to UK and do a law degree. At the same time, I had separated from my son's father. So It was a very particular time in my life because it was a new phase starting as a single mom, basically. And it was a coincidence that this legal studying, the law degree, fell also at the same time. And sometimes I think maybe that was what kind of kept me busy and made me go through it a little bit easier because it took a while to get the divorce. It's very complicated with the local rules. But I came in 2004 to London to do an LLB, which is a three-year law degree in the UK, and to go back and continue working for the family business, which is a law firm. But then 
either something went right or wrong, I stayed in <laughs> London. And every time I wanted to go back, something would come up. And either I was offered a training contract, I did my master's, then I was headhunted to the city. Then I moved to work in Paris. Then I was headhunted for Child and Child. Then I was headhunted wow. for Alvarium, which is a merchant bank. And then I was headhunted back to Child and Child. So as a partner. So it's been an adventure in every way. And to do the law degree with a toddler, because my son was only two when I started my law degree, was not easy. Wow. And look back, I wonder, oh my God, how did I do it? But we do what we can. And as human beings, we adapt ourselves to the situation. So I did it. And at the time, I wasn't really thinking about it. When I look back, it hits me that, oh my God, were you crazy? Why did you do that? I also did my master's at the same of same time of doing my training contract. Wow. And again, wow. when I look back, I'm like, are you crazy? Why did you do that to yourself? But I guess I was in a rush because I went back to studying. I was in my mind, unconsciously, I was in a rush to get back on working and finish the studying. But it's a never ending journey because you still have to always keep yourself up to date with the laws, with the cases, with the conferences and all sorts of things with life. And I think it was a good thing that I did it then. If I had left it to now, I would have never done it again. So sometimes you do things without realizing you're doing it. And mm -hmm. it's kind of better you don't realize what you're doing. Because otherwise, if you think too much about it, you may not actually do it. Because you may think, oh my God, it's too much. Oh my God, how am I going to manage? I used to pick up my son from nursery, spend time with him until 8, 9 p.m. until he sleeps and then put him to bed and then study until 1 a.m., which was not easy. So sometimes it's better, I guess, if you don't think too much and you just get on with it. You just do what you have to do. And I was lucky because my father was never telling me that, okay, now you did this. Now you have to come back. And I was just going to ask you about that. I was really, really lucky. When I told him, oh, I have the training contract offer. What do I do? He said, you know what? This is always here. It's always mm -hmm. ready if you ever want to come back. So do it. It only adds value. If you qualify in the UK, you come back as an English solicitor. It only adds value. If you do your master's, it only adds value. Do it and write your own story. So I was really lucky that he gave me this opportunity. I've got my two brothers who work with him at the law firm. So he's probably got enough of us driving him crazy. <laughs> but I came here to do a law degree and go back to work for the family business. But I stayed. So we still collaborate because we have some common clients, but I'm not working for him anymore. I work with him if we have a mutual client. And it's good. It's good. It's amazing. Your journey since 2004 is one of like huge transition, not just from... You know, you said you went through a divorce, you moved to the UK, you moved from family business into training up for law and moving to corporate. So you've been through a lot of transition. And I loved what you said about at the time you might have overthought things as you were yeah. alluding to. And, you know, that can impede us from actually going after what we really want to do. I just love that so much. And I like what you were saying about your father. Quite often as successors, it's, it's, there can be a huge burden where it's like you have a certain expectation of what your parents' expectations are. And that can be different from the reality of their expectations, right? Yes, I have friends or clients who 
they finished their studies and they were not given a choice. They were like, you've done your degree. You're now coming back to do that or to take over this section or that section. So I really feel lucky about that. And I'm grateful to him because I learned a lot from him and he kind of let me fly alone and write my own story. So I finished my law degree. I was applying for internships, training contracts. It was the recession in 2009. And it was not the best time to find a training contract or even a pupillage for barristers. So I was writing letters everywhere and I received about 30 rejection letters. I don't forget, still have them in a folder. And I told myself, this is not going to put me off. So I need to find out how to beat this. I still have the folder. Around 20, 30 rejection letters. In one of these letters, they gave me feedback. And by the way, I had applied to so many more firms, but these are the ones who replied. At that time, there were hard copy letters coming to your address saying, thank you, but no, thank you. So one of these said that, sorry, we only take interns who have at least three experiences on their CVs in the UK. You should at least work in three law firms before you come to us. It was a huge city firm, one of the magic circle ones. So I told myself, okay, I actually wrote back to them and thanked them for their feedback because that kind of showed me what I should do next. So that autumn, I did my CV. In November, I printed 10 copies of my CV. I went on the Law Society website. I found address of all the little law firms around my home because I had a toddler. So I needed to be not time on transport. I went to these law firms one by one, door by door. And I said, I'm a law student. Do you want a free hand? And they said, yes. And that's how I got my first work experience because I was getting rejection letters from everywhere. So I thought if I go in person and if I say, I'm looking for a work experience, just a free hand. So I walked in this office. It was a small one lawyer office, like one partner only and one secretary. And I said, I'm a law student and I have three weeks off for Christmas holidays. And I wonder if you need a free hand. The moment I said free hand, the lady who was there and her name was Linda, lovely lady. She looked up from behind her desk and said, free hand, wait there. And then she went (laughs) in and spoke to someone and came out and said, good, when can you start? And I said, well, now? And I just stayed and I made, I mean, it was work experience. The first day I did some photocopying. The next day I did some bundles. And then slowly, slowly, because I was a mature student, I was older than Mm. the usual law student. They were giving me a little bit more and more. And that's when I learned that, oh my God, property law is so different in the UK to everywhere else in the world. So that was my first UK experience with law. Then they were happy with me. So they offered me to go back once a week and help during the term time because we had one day a week free in case we needed to work. The university planned the classes like that. Then for summer, I thought, okay, I need to have the second law firm on my CV. Otherwise, I can't get into any of these big law firms in the city. So I did the same thing, printed my CV, took out 10 law firms addresses in the area, went one by one to the door. Some didn't open the door. Some were like, come back tomorrow. Again, one of them, when I said, I wonder if you need a free hand. I'm a second year law student. Buzz, they opened the door. So I went in, I walked in and I said, I'm just wondering if you need anyone for summer to help. And they said, actually, we do. 
So I stayed there and first they gave me a week and then they kept me for three months. And that is the law firm who actually offered me a training contract two years later when I did my LPC. And when I finished the law degree and did my LPC, they contacted me to ask if I have secured the training contract. And I had secured one, but it was indefinitely suspended because a bigger bank bought them. I was supposed Mm -hmm. to do my training. I had applied to Dredzner Kleinworth, a German bank, a transactional legal team. At the same time, before anything happens, Commerce Bank bought them. So their budget was completely changed and they didn't take any more trainees that year. So I told them, well, I thought I had one, but no, I don't have one. So they said, okay, come and see us tomorrow. So I went and I saw them and they offered me a training contract and I started the next week and they counted my previous legal experience because I had worked for them and for other companies. I worked for a third company in-house in their legal team to have that third legal experience on my CV. And I got the training contract and that was in 2009. By end of 2010, I finished because I finished in a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And before I finished my training contract, I already had an offer with the city firm because I had so many languages on my CV. And this firm had some clients from the countries that I speak the language from. So as a newly qualified, I started working in the city. And the firm I was doing training contracts for, they asked me, you haven't asked if we're keeping you or not. Because usually when you finish your training contract, you're hoping they offer you to stay with a permanent mm-hmm. contract. They said, no, because I already have a job secured and they couldn't believe it. And that was really nice to be able to say that to them. So then I went to work for them in the city for the next law firm. And then I moved to Paris for another opportunity as head of legal for a family. And then I was headhunted for child and child to come back to London. And I set up the Middle East desk for them in March 2015 and ran it for around nearly five years, just over four and a half years, nearly five years. Then I had an opportunity to go and work as a managing director in a merchant bank, multifamily merchant bank, which was amazing. It was a really nice journey, very international company. They had offices from Hong Kong and Singapore, all the way to Europe, all the way to US. So it was a big difference because where I had worked for previously, it was only firms that had only that office, whether my dad's firm, the two law firms in London, the family, Mm -hmm. the Middle Eastern family I worked for, for nearly three years. I had never worked in a organization that had offices all over the world. And it was really, really interesting to see how it works and all the different lines of work that they had, financial advice, investment advice, corporate advice, m team, private equity, fundraising, structured property finance, debt funding. It was amazing. It was really interesting to learn and to find out about all these areas. Then in January, I was taunted again back to Child and Child as a partner and head of international So it's been a bit of a journey, but it's all interesting. I think life is a journey. And I think with change comes improvement and development. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine was asking, you're not scared of change? And I said, no. And I think it's because since I was a child, I grew up in the war with rockets flying over my head. Yes, Iraq war. So sometimes things happen that we didn't have time to think about. 
Mm. What we do or what can we do and if we want to change or not. So it happened that 2 a.m. we had to jump in the car and drive away because our neighborhood was being bombed so badly. All the glasses were broken. I remember as a child that always there were tapes on the windows because if there was a bomb, that would keep it together rather than it splashing all over and injuring people. So, yes, I've gone to school and seen a bouquet of flowers in place of a classmate. I've gone to school and saw a classmate or a schoolmate in the same clothes because their house was bombed the night before, so she couldn't get home. In those days, there was no mobile phone, no internet, so school bus had brought her back to school until the next morning they find the next family members, like uncles from the directory of the school emergency numbers. So all of those. And on top of that, immigration, you know, we left Iran in the 80s for some time to come to the UK because the war was really bad. Then we went back to Iran when the war finished. Then I immigrated again when I was separated. So I've had a lot of change, as you said, a lot of change. And I think it kind of became a part of me. And that's why maybe I'm not scared of change. And I think with change comes progress. So I think we shouldn't be scared of change. We shouldn't be scared of moving jobs or moving home or moving countries. And it's very easy to get used to your comfort zone, to your environment, mm-hmm. to the people, to the friends, family. But I guess because in a very young age, I was placed in a situation that there was no choice and you just did what you could. Maybe that's stayed with me and that helped me to not to think too much and just get on with it when there is an opportunity or when there is a way in front of you. Wow. Your story is so, so inspirational. It really is indeed one of huge transition. One I'm quite intrigued about is the relationship with your father. So you moved from having dad as a boss to now having dad as a strategic partner. You said you collaborate with him now on some projects? Well, he refers clients to me sometimes. I refer clients sometimes because sometimes there are clients who are, for example, have some family interest there or they have been found in a frustrated situation because of the sanctions. They had a contract. It's frozen now. So it's now collaboration. And also another transition is when you work for your own business and then you go and become an employee. That is, I think, a huge change. (laughs) Being the boss's daughter is something else. And then being just an employee or a newly qualified, it's something else. So I had to learn to really adapt Mm -hmm. to the situation and to accept that, okay, you're going to work for someone. You may even have to make coffee. You're not the daughter of the boss anymore. You're not the boss anymore. But I will tell you something that my boss told me. He said, it doesn't matter if you work for yourself or work for someone else. Do it like a boss. Do it like a boss. Either one. Mm. Be powerful. People feel it. People feel it. So if you go and ask your boss that I'm going to make a coffee, would you like one? That doesn't take anything off you. It's not beneath you. But it was still a big change because also in Middle East, there is a lot of service. There's a lot of facility. So, you know, you don't have to ask for your coffee sometimes. It just keeps coming into the room to then go and work somewhere that I have to make my own coffee, not only, and I have to also make a coffee for the boss. So I have to start from zero again and rebuild. But you do what you have to. And 
if you are not able to adapt yourself, then you will not get anywhere. You cannot start a job as a trainee solicitor or as a newly qualified or even as a partner and be arrogant and, you know, not want to be flexible. It just doesn't work. No, that's such wisdom. And you touched on making coffee for your boss. It doesn't make you beneath, it doesn't take anything away from you. Did you ever feel kind of enraged by the idea of making coffee for your boss? Did you feel like it was because you were a lady you were asked to do that? And if not, what gender-based obstacles did you face along your journey, on your journey to partner? Actually, it's funny you asked me that. I was never asked to make a coffee. I always offered. Okay. Before okay. I asked. So it was me. And that's what my dad meant by do it like a boss. And people feel it. So... Before I'm asked, I was the one who was saying, I'm going to make a coffee for me. Would you like one? Would you like one? Okay. Mm-hmm. Make one for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was, yes, please. And sometimes it was, no, thank you. But what was your other question? I'm old. You need to remind yeah, me. What ge- <laughs> we all are. Just generally, I'm really intrigued about your journey because you're a very accomplished and ambitious lady. Did you face any gender-based obstacles along your journey? It is difficult. It's not easy. But if everything was easy in life, if everything was presented to you in a tray, then Mm -hmm. we wouldn't appreciate it as much. So sometimes you are the one who needs to put the barriers, to set the barriers around you, to draw the lines, to say, okay, Mm -hmm. this red line and you do not cross it and no one can cross it. But it's not always easy to do that, especially when you're a junior. I've had comments going to interviews, being told, oh, not only a pretty face, but also clever. Or mm-hmm. I'm sitting rooms in the Middle East after having emails with people. And then I've been told, oh my God, you're a woman. So they expected a man. And when they saw it's a woman, they were surprised. So there are sometimes, but I always joke about it. I try to look at it from above and not let it affect me. Mm-hmm. So in reply to the comment, imagine I walked in a meeting room with 10, 12 people in it and the other side. So I was representing the UK side and the other side was represented by local lawyers there in one of the Gulf countries. And their client suddenly couldn't hold it. And he just turned around and said, I walked in the room and they were like, he said, oh my God, you are a woman. <laughs> really? <laughs> so instead of being disturbed, but I laughed. I said, 100%. <laughs> <You> know, <it's laughs> <laughs> and that broke the ice in the room, but I could mm-hmm. see his dog was so stressed about this comment. And then after half an hour, the other side, again, he wanted to make it better because he felt he shouldn't have made that comment. And he said, I didn't mean it in a bad way, but the documents were so good. I thought it's a man. So he made it even worse. Worse. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make it better. And I just could see his solicitor was kicking him under the table. I could see him moving, saying like, so I said, well, I take that as a compliment. Thank you. But I also knew that it's culture. That was the mm-hmm. a man in his 70s. He never saw his mother work. He never see, saw his wife work. And his daughters probably didn't work. So for him, it's culture as well. Sometimes now you see a lot of Gulf countries that their daughters are doing businesses. I can tell because I have them as my clients. Mm. They're businesses taking franchise from European brands, doing what they want, starting a fashion brand. 
being Instagram influencers, you name it, they have it. A lot of them. A lot of them are working for their fathers, a lot of the mm-hmm. daughters. But at that time, when I had just actually qualified, it was funny to walk into that meeting and to hear this comment. And the solicitor on the other side was really disturbed by it. But I just laughed. I just laughed. I said, okay, thank you. I take it as a compliment. Don't worry. Because I knew it's nothing personal. So I think you need to have or build the power in yourself to move on and to look at things from above, not to let mm-hmm. it get... Because <laughs> take everything personally. constant battle with everybody. And I knew it's not going to be easy. I'm a foreigner in a country which is not my home country. Applying for work was not easy. Some people probably couldn't even read my name. I was thinking probably this is just chucked in the bin by the HR or secretaries before even the right people see it. So that's what made me decide to print my CV and walk in to see if I can make a difference. If they see me personally, it's very different than a piece of paper if you see someone. Mm -hmm. So that's what initiated the idea that I try like that to try to get work experience however I can. And you need to have the resilience and the resistance to pass and to move on, to move Mm -hmm. forward. Don't get stuck in what people say, move forward. And if if I wasn't, there has been sometimes that I was not happy with a thing or a word or a comment. And I very calmly told that person, I said, you know, I get really upset when you say this, or I would prefer if it's different. And you will be surprised how you make people think when you very calmly and very kindly and politely raise something rather than reacting in rage or anger in the heat of the moment. So I think there have been times that it was really challenging for me. And I felt that, for example, maybe the other side, because I'm a girl, they look at the website, they see a woman and they're much older than me, much more senior than me. And they think, okay, maybe she's not going to be able to do the job. Also, there are much more numbers of lady lawyers in property and family than in corporate law. So that is another reason why sometimes you're challenged because there are less ladies. We need more women in these areas of law or in the banks. There are more male bankers than female bankers, more men than women. So I guess because as women, we make a family, we look after our children. A lot of women take a break to look after their children and then go back to work. So it's much more challenging for a woman to get to that point as a partner. And I think it's still possible because I'm only 10 years qualified in the UK. That's incredible. And you made partner when? I became a partner in Child and Child in January. But in 2015, I set up the Middle East desk and I was running a desk already. So for nearly five years and you can't do it, but you just need to give it all. You need to give it all and not give up and work hard until you achieve your goals. And don't think too much, just do it. I think the thing that, you know, and I had a child, I was a single mom on my own. It's possible. We can do it. I think the word they use for a lot of women, which I hate, which is empowerment. Mm-hmm. I think very, very wrong word to use because as human beings, we are powerful. We are able, we are capable. So 
they shouldn't say empowering women or women empowerment. Women are powerful. We are mothers, we are daughters, Mm -hmm. we are wives, and we also work. And I think it's just the opportunity. Sometimes they miss the opportunities because they need to take time to stay Mm -hmm. home to two, three kids or family members. And because of that gap, when they go back to work, it takes a longer time for them to get to the point that they would want. And also it's very important, I think, that people work in what they enjoy Mm -hmm. because you just work and you just want a salary at the end of the day. Of course, you're not going to put that passion in it. Imagine the things we do for love, Mm -hmm. the things we do for love. So take that passion and apply it to the rest of your life, not just for that person. And you will see how different it will be. And people feel it when you work with passion, when you care, when you give 100%. It's impossible that people don't notice it, either colleagues, employers, and your juniors. Mm. Because good leaders train fantastic leaders. You have such an amazing disposition towards life. And we were talking about resiliency earlier and talking essentially about how you have a learner's mindset. So you see failure as an opportunity to learn and to get better. And you know, it's one thing to be resilient and have grit and just persist at something in the face of failure. It's another thing to chronicle your failures. Like you said, you kept your rejection letters. I find that just absolutely fascinating. Did you go back to your rejection letters and read them? Why did you keep them? What did it mean to you to keep those rejection letters? Because most of us, when we're rejected, we feel very ashamed. We want to hide it. We want to just not look at it again. That email that came through where it's like, yeah, you were not chosen. You just want to delete it. Or that letter that came through, you want to just bin it and just get rid of it. What was the motive when you received those letters? Why did you keep them? I kept them to remember which were those companies. And I wanted to be sure that one day I would have an offer from one of them at least. And the one who will say no. And it happened. Wow. It happened because in 2019, when I moved from law firm to the merchant bank, I had other offers from other law firms. And the headhunter, the agent, recruitment agent, who was kind of arranging interviews, arranging interviews with two of those firms who had originally told me, we can't take you. And one of them was the one who actually said, you need to have three UK legal work experiences. And I went to the interview to one of them and said no after the first interview. And to the other one, I didn't go to the interview. I just said no. So I guess that was the reason I kept them because I didn't want to forget. And I wanted to be sure that I would show that to my child, which I have to say, you should not give up if you hear no. Falling is not a bad thing. It's bad if you don't get up. Imagine a child that's learning to walk. They don't walk or run from day one, suddenly. They take a few steps, they fall, they get up, they take another few steps, and then slowly, slowly, they walk so well, and then they start running. So I think one shouldn't give up with one rejection letter or two rejection letters or anything else in life if it's a no. Sometimes maybe that is not the right moment. Maybe you're not ready for it. There may be so many other reasons around Mm -hmm. it. But if you try and try again and try again, 
and fix the problems because of which you didn't get it the first time, then you will definitely get it. Or you may end up getting even better. Powerful. And I wonder how has the transition been for you in COVID-19? How have you dealt with COVID-19? What has kept you going? (laughs) In everything. I've seen revolution in Iran. I remember 1979. I have images in my head as a child. I have seen war, immigrated because of war. I have divorced. I have immigrated after divorce again to start a new phase. I have moved around countries for work. I've lived in Dubai. I've lived in France. I've lived in Iran, of course. I've lived in the UK. So all of these, I thought I everything. I thought I have seen everything. But when the lockdown happened, I was like, oh my God, there was still surprises in life for me. (laughs) Yeah, I really thought I've seen everything because I thought, okay, what more can there be? You know, war, revolution, divorce, immigration, being a single mom. Each of these has its own challenges, its own traumas. And then there are still surprises in life. COVID happens, lockdown happens. And I'm the type that I was always on the go. I was never at my desk. Even when I was a junior, I remember one of the colleagues telling me, you're never at your desk. How do you even do the work? I was always at lunches, dinners, conferences. I remember as a junior, because you don't get invited anywhere. I used to go on events, write and find events and then email them and ask if I can attend. Wow. So I was finding ways to get to places and it was really difficult to then suddenly have to learn to sit in one place for hours. Mm. And I'm known for my patients. I hate going to the dentist because I need to sit still in that chair without moving. It was a real struggle for me the first few weeks because I really had to sit at my desk with my computer and just do emails and works. And it was not easy. And Zoom is just not the same thing. Although it does have advantages because I'm not now just networking with UK or London. It's like we're having that previously, if I had a meeting with someone in Singapore or someone in Hong Kong was because they were in London or because I was in Geneva or because I was in Milan or in Paris. Now you can have meetings with anyone, anytime. It's a new trend. So I'm not saying I want to keep it this way. I can't wait to have real meetings with people because I'm a people's person. But it's just shown that you can talk to anyone in the world without having to travel to that location and you can make it work. So Mm. we had a situation. But yes, lockdown was not easy. I had to learn to sit in one place for more than (laughs) an hour. And it's been a year plus of this. Hopefully we're almost at the end of this. Down a little bit today in London, but let's see how it goes and if it will last, hopefully. My last question for you, are you excited about the future and what do you see in the horizon? Absolutely. What I see in the horizon, I have no idea. I usually don't have time to think too much far ahead (laughs) because I keep myself so busy with everything. I work like a bulldozer. I love seeing my friends. I love spending time with my son. I love doing sports. So I really Mm. don't have much time to think, (laughs) which is good and bad because you don't get to plan. and. I think it's also a bit genetic. My family is so last minute. We never have a plan for traveling months in advance. Even when we do it, we need to change it last minute because things change so 
I'm absolutely excited for our future. I think life is beautiful. We need to live it for that moment. Don't think too far ahead. Don't think of all the problems that may occur. Don't anticipate only problems. Don't have all this negativity in your lives. Deal with the problem as and when it happens. It's good to be clever in a way to anticipate a little bit, but don't mm-hmm. sit all and say, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if all the negative things? Because that affects you, puts you down. Personally, it affects me. So if I think too much, I may never do something. So I just get on with it. Life goes on, life moves on. And I think life is beautiful. And if we are lucky that we have lovely family and lovely friends and a good job, good colleagues, I think you should enjoy it. And I hate people who nag. I have zero tolerance, again, because I don't have time to complain or to hear someone complaining. I always tell my friends or my students, because I also teach at university, I always tell my students that if something bothers you, do something about it. If you're not happy, do something about it. If you're sitting there and putting up with it, then don't complain. Yeah. So I think in life, that has been my own strategy as well, unconsciously or consciously. If something bothers me, I do something about it. Because suffering with that, it drains you and it exhausts you as well. So I think maybe that's why I divorced. I left because I was not happy. And Mm -hmm. I see clients who stay in an unhappy marriage for years and years and years without any side making an effort to make it better or in a job that they don't like and they don't mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. Just because you want a sad becoming in the end of the month. But I think we deserve better than that. And I guess living in the war changes your perspective to life. And you feel like, you know, you don't know what's coming tomorrow. So you might as well do the things you love today and get a job that you enjoy. And if you're not happy about something, Do something to make it good so that you are happy. Don't stay in a frustrated situation. Thank you, Shazad. Honestly, your story has been so inspiring. And at a time of so much transition, I've had a quick kind of dose of the much needed positivity (laughs) I needed for this moment because it's been a season of a lot of transition, a lot of big decisions I need to make. And you're right, it's so easy to get stuck in the negativity, to get stuck in the unknown and analysis paralysis, the point where you're just like in a state of inertia. It's just easiest just to do nothing than to actually make a big move. But I really need this today. And I'm sure that a lot of the listeners would have been thoroughly blessed by so much of your story and your wisdom too. And if anyone wants to get hold of you, how best can they reach you? All my details are on our website on Child Angel websites and on LinkedIn. So happy to have with anyone. Awesome. Thank you. I told you, fire hose. (laughs) Fire hose of wisdom. Shazad's story is one of starting from zero and rebuilding with all the skills required from mindset to practical, how to rebuild again. Her story is one of sheer resilience. Firstly, I wish I had more time to unpack what it was like to live during war as a child. Her story is one of stepping out of your comfort zone and doing things afraid. I love when she said that her father taught her from a young age, whatever you do, 
do it like a boss. Be powerful. People feel it. And I love her tips on being humble. What does it take for you to offer someone a cup of tea? It really doesn't take much from you, but people feel it. People are impacted by your kindness, your warmth, and your hospitality. She said so much. The power in yourself to move on from situations and looking at things from above. So levitating above the situation you're in and gaining aerial perspective. She also talked a lot about overthinking. And oh boy, I know about that. Don't think too much about it. Like my namesake brand says, just do it. But most of all, what I was most moved by, her story applying to the law firms, having all those 30 plus rejections and her keeping those failures, chronicling and documenting those failures because she knew that in the future, at that point of her worth, she foresaw a better future. And she knew that in the future, she could go back to those law firms and show them the rejection letters. Like, my situation has changed. That really was my greatest, like, oh my goodness, woman, you are just amazing. So I hope that blessed you as much as it blessed me in just really digesting how we can fly alone and write our own story. Because I often say, you hold the pen, you're directing the script of your life. Your circumstance is not the people around you. They're not. Nothing is holding you back but yourself. And seek for agency to hold that pen and write on that paper whatever you please. Seek to control your mindset. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, take care and God bless you.